Sonic States What's wrong? Well, everybody, hello and welcome to Sonic Talk number 187. After a week's break, uh, I've been just back from holiday. Uh, Wednesday, the 1st of September, we're recording. Uh, for those of you who are live with me in the chat room, uh, welcome to you, everybody. Thanks for hanging in there. Um, I know it sometimes gets a bit complicated when we have weeks off and stuff, but looks like we've got a good, fulsome collection. Uh, for those of you who wonder what I'm talking about, if you've never seen us before or heard us before... SonicState.com forward slash live at 4pm uh, on a UK time every Wednesday afternoon. We do a live recording. There's a chat room. There's a video feed. Uh, we stream the chat into the video feed. It's all wonderful. You can uh, enjoy some chat with some like-minded individuals and comment on the show and get involved. Uh, you might be able to see on this shot, Cam, uh, there's Andy in the background. Do you want to give us a wave, Andy? There's Andy, my partner in crime here at Sonic. He's at his uh, his desk over there, also headphoned up. So, um, hello and welcome. So, and I'll, I'll now say hello to our local guests, I suppose they would be, um, for we have a good, fulsome collection. It's nice to hear, see, hear so many and see so many people on board. Uh, we'll start with Dave Robinson, the editor of ProSoundNewsEurope.com. How are you doing, Dave? Uh, I'm good, thank you. Yeah, excellent. Just gearing up for uh, the IBC show next week, big broadcast show in Amsterdam. Oh yeah, and that overlaps with uh, the Plaza show, of course. Will you be coming up to Plaza, Nick? I will be coming up to Plaza on Monday, the 13th of September. Uh, one of the last yeah. few remaining shows here in the UK, <laughs> as the other time. Well, indeed, yeah. <laughs> as uh, we've had a few collapsed, um, notably uh, Music Live in B at Birmingham, and also the Lim Show, which is a shame because I enjoyed the Lim Show. Uh, an excuse to go to Docklands and stay in a Holiday Inn and uh, enjoy the uh, the delights of the bar and the restaurant there, just for a that's night. A, that's a bit of a thrill for you, is it? The Holiday Inn. It's a Holiday Inn Express as well, isn't it? It is a Holiday Inn Express. Um, yes. Well, it's the uh, it's just getting away, getting my top up of new gear and talking to everybody. You know, it's uh, it's a shame. But uh, both of those shows have been so cancelled. Getting getting away from the family for a couple of days. Perhaps. I wouldn't. I couldn't possibly comment. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I'm, I, it's a shame. So um, we'll have to we'll have to enjoy Plaza to the max. So I'm going to be going to the Mackie party. You going to that, Dave? I will be there. Yes. Yeah, of course. See what they've got. See what they've got. I think they're showing off a new subwoofer. Whoa! For their HD range. <laughs> Woo! There we are. They'll probably have the Blackbird and the Blackjack uh, audio oh, interface you got those as well. Right, yeah, the Blackjack and the Blackbird. Yeah. Which, of course, I reviewed. I reviewed the Black. Oh, I can't remember which one it was. The little one, Blackjack, a couple of weeks ago, actually, before I went. Nice little, nice, nice little unit. Yeah, sounds nice. It's got Onyx. It's the Onyx sound. I like the Onyx preamps. The yeah. Onyx preamps sound good. You know, um, there are a few limitations. I can't remember what they were now, but um, you'd have to refer. I refer you to my review of uh, of July oh. <laughs> or August or whenever it was. So I, uh, I'm so empty of facts and figures because I've been away. I've just not managed to uh, figure it out. Anyway, um, Dave Robinson, ProSoundNewsEurope.com. Welcome. Well well, I just one one thing to add. What I've got with me here, I've got a prop with me for the first time. Oh, have and, you? Well, first time in a nice time. Yeah, uh, I was at my friends the weekend, and they'd obviously been in some toy shop, and they got a Britain's Got Talent buzzer. So oh, okay. I've got actually. So if if um if anybody says anything I don't like, I'm just going to do this. Ooh, that sounds like an electric <laughs> toothbrush. <laughs> It's got a red light on it and a little and a little light, a big cross. But I mean, obviously, you can't. Stop it. It's more visual, but the fact that it goes. <laughs> Okay. Something very, something very appealing about that. It sounds a bit like anyway. a sort of X Factor judge kind of thing. Is that where you, you, you elevating yourself to that sort of level then? We'll, we'll have to well, watch it out. Is, it's exactly, it's an X Factor judge buzzer. Button. Right. Um, Nick, that's what it does. That's what it is. It's oh my God. I, listen, I've had a week off. You can't expect me to perform under these circumstances. Well, that, do you know what? If you were here, I'd give you three of these. <laughs> 
one, two, three. They all pitch differently. Anyway, well, thank you very much, Dave. I shall look forward to not hearing that. But um, I appreciate you bringing along a prop for me anyway. So let's let's also let's jump over to the other side of the world, uh, or at least the other side of this hemisphere, and uh, say hello to our US compatriots. We'll start off with Rich Hilton. Uh, Rich Hilton, of course, is uh, engineer, producer, uh, musician, plays live all the time uh, in the studio with Nile Rogers, where he's uh, he mans the controls for lots of those kind of projects. How are you doing, Rich? Really well, thank you. How about you? I'm good. I'm very good, yeah. Felt very well rested. Very well pleased to be back, though. Um, I, as you can imagine, I didn't get a lot of chance to talk about uh, music technology and all that sort of thing uh, while I was in Deepest Painton in, uh, in Devon. I think Devon. It was Devon, and it rained almost ex- the whole time. But I would like to say thank you very much to Graham, who obviously felt very sorry for us. We rented this really big house, slightly sort of ramshackle, but we've discovered it's like a thousand years old, the footprint of this house. It's got a swimming pool, which is obviously not a thousand years old, uh, outdoor heated, so we managed to kind of entertain ourselves. But it rained so much that he said, well, we haven't got anyone in next week. Why don't you have another couple of extra days? So we did, and the sun came out. So I want to say thank you very much to Graham for being so generous. Um... But I am well. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm really... I, I'm also talking incredibly fast and an awful lot of nonsense. So, so Rich, <laughs> perhaps you'd like to slow me down or say something that I, I, can, uh, I can stop uh, rambling about. Well, it's certainly nice to have you back, Nick, and it's <laughs> nice to see all my friends here, my fellow podcasters. And uh, things have been good in the studio, and I've been very much enjoying the work I'm doing right now. And uh, it's been involving uh, working with material that's been transferred from two-inch tape. Ah, histastic. Has a, it's very well. No, mm-hmm. actually, there's a remarkable lack of hiss. I believe these tapes were 15 IPS Dolby A. Okay, and um, more like a rumble. Dolby then. A. Seems, <laughs> no, no, it's beautiful. Oh. It's wonderful. It's just completely different from what you normally work on when you're working from digitally sourced material. Mm-hmm. And it kind of reminds me of back when I used to have consoles and hear this coming into the console. It's just, it really does have a very old, familiar, and cool ring to it. But it just changes the way I work a lot. And it's kind of interesting and fun. It must change the way you EQ things, I'd imagine, because there's different emphasis and what have you, isn't there? Or less well, yeah, one of, the, one of the significant things about it is, just like back then, you're brightening things up a lot. Whereas when you source things digitally, I don't find myself brightening things up quite so often and quite so extremely right. as I find myself doing here. And uh, that's one of the differences, yeah. And there's other differences, too. It's just that the stuff you normally do to digital audio to make it sound, you know, cool, adding mojo and stuff, they, this stuff's got mojo all over it. So all you, have, you really have to do is think like you're in 1983 and 84 <laughs> and operate this Regress. gear from 2010. <laughs> yeah, but you know, the funny thing is you're doing it on completely different gear, and I found myself buying new plugins to accommodate my needs in this. Acquisition. Oh. Well, that will tie in nicely with another um, topic we've got coming up a bit later in the show, which I won't be starting with. But, um, but anyway... Thank you very much, Rich. Yep. Uh, what's up? MySpace.com sure. forward slash Hiltonius. Uh, well, maybe you can tell us a little bit more about this project later on. That sounds very interesting. And um, let me see. Well, we've also... Have I, have I introduced... No, I haven't. Hello, PJ Tracy. While I'm over your side of the world, I'll say hello to PJ Tracy, Emmy-winning composer from Minneapolis. How are you doing, PJ? I'm good, Nick. It's uh, great to be here. Feeling really good today. Great news. Yeah, and... Uh, like Rich, I've been working on a project with an old friend of mine who asked me to help him uh, 
uh, finish up some material that uh, he's had in a vault for a long time. And we're transferring not from analog, unfortunately, but from Blackface ADAT, which ties in nicely with one of our topics today, not to give you know too much away. But uh, there is not modes. And uh, the music's fantastic, but the and the sounds that were used in this in this production you know, in, in this work were, were great, but, uh, unfortunately the, the sound quality is, is, uh, noticeably not, not analogish at all. Ah, okay. Mm. Yeah. And then the, and then the hassle of attempting to, um, some, uh, some of this work didn't have time code or anything like that. So trying to line things up by hand and that kind of thing is ah, uh, old school. Fun. Well, at least you yeah. got, at least you got a non, you know, you got a door to work to. But anyway, welcome PJ, yeah. pjtracymusic.com. Uh, right. And also, uh, Mark Tinley, he's been very quiet there. And um, nice to have you aboard. Glad you could make it. I guess we're out of, out of the school holidays. My daughter, I thought my daughter was going back to school today. And we since discovered that there's an in-service day, which is like a teacher training day. So we had to rapidly replan the entire day. And she's gone to the zoo today. I wish I could have come too. We're on the same deal, I think. Are you? Um, I think he goes back tomorrow, but there's no information on the website at all. Where are we pointing people to uh, to, to get their full hit of Markness at the moment? Oh, I'm all with uh, still with likebeing.com. That's my likebeing.com, and also um, you're working on that project, um, the uh, o- Open Boat Orchestra. Open Boat yeah. Orchestra. That's right. Is that, has that been going good? That's coming along nicely. Yeah, yeah. Um, my brother has uh, started writing the code for the box. Uh-huh. And I've uh, been doing the musical rules. So when my brother and I meet up and uh, connect our two bits of information together, we should have something that does something. Probably in about a week, I would think. Right. So, well, we'll definitely have to do a special on that when you've got a bit more um, ready to go and you've got some trials yeah, under it. The midi boat. The midi boat. That's right. The midi Dave. boat. Yeah. Hey, but yeah, maybe right. if. Uh, I mean, we're going to go roaring round the Solent in a very, very fast racing yacht in about three weeks' time. Oh, so, that um, sounds great fun. I wonder, if, I wonder if I could get you down with a camera to that, perhaps, or something. If I, yeah, that sounds that sounds like it could be really exciting. I did. I, okay. I, I did. I went a bit. I did a bit of boating. Went to went to see the um, a couple of an air display. Um, I, this is totally off topic, but I thought I'd say it anyway. <laughs> the Red Arrows, <laughs> who are an aerobatical display aerobatical display team, <laughs> display team <laughs> from the UK. Very amazing. Sort of not, I think it's seven or nine planes. They fly them around, little red jets, and they have smoke coming out of the, the rear, and it's all very it's all very brilliant. But we were right underneath where they were. It was brilliant. And then as I left. Uh, no, I wasn't in a boat at all, but it was over the uh, River Dart, which there's lots of boats. <laughs> oh, I've right. seen that. I've, I've seen the same display team in Dartmouth. They're amazing when they come down the valley there, right? All of that stuff, yeah. All of that stuff, yeah, really cool. But then at the end of it, um, you know, they flew off, and, it, and we got on a train to get back to uh, our, up where we were staying, and there was this just amazingly loud noise, and they flew this typhoon, typhoon fighter jet over which has got two engines and to be honest sounded like concord taking off just outside the window i've never heard anything quite so awesome and loud in my entire life and this guy was just throwing it around um, obviously trying to outdo the uh, red, the red arrows which he was doing quite successfully but um, if you get a chance and you've never seen one of those things in the flesh it's really quite an uh, an uh, an exciting experience <laughs> so all the car alarms went off and all the children started crying yeah i'm not kidding yeah it was really terrifying anyway i'm just rambling completely now 
Um, so maybe we could... Is anybody still in the chat room? Yeah, no, we've got a good... good Are they all left? No, they're all going, yeah. I'll, I'm trying to pu- I'll try and pull it back into the, uh, the, the world of, uh, of audio. Please. Um, <laughs> but first, no. Anyway, um, I, I think I'm just going to leave, leave the technology that changed the world because I actually remember that we did this topic some time ago and it, that's why it seemed like a good idea, but it was actually too familiar. So I thought we'd go with the can't get it out of your head. Well, Oh, sorry. Hey, can I actually just before you do that? Because obviously that was the blackface uh, ADAT stuff that uh, PJ right. wanted to talk about. That's you true. know he died last week. The bloke who invented it, Mr. Keith Barr, Mr. Elysis, he died last week. Yeah. Oh, no, I didn't know that. I, th- I thought that's what you brought it up. Yeah, he died at sixty-one. Uh, I think he died of a heart attack last Wednesday night or something like that. Yeah. Oh, that's but, just... but basically, the guy who gave us. Um, ADAT and uh, the SR16 and the HR16 and the MMT8 and all these and he was MXR um, he was MXR guitar effects as well. Oh, yeah, what, like the, the, uh, the phaser, the little blue phaser and stuff. Uh, yeah, before uh, before before Alesis, uh he was doing stuff. Yeah, before he was doing the electronic stuff with, uh, oh, wow. with so, sort of digital stuff with Alesis. Yeah, he was the sound so, of eighties um, funk. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's just a strange coincidence that you should uh, you should pick this this thing. But uh, yeah, I know it wasn't. Well, I I, I should I, I checked. Well, this was the emusician.com, um, and this basically, you know, technology that changed the world. And this was all about the uh, Alesis ADAT and the, in fact, the ADAT interface. And as Dave, you said, mm. the the chap who invented it was was um, sadly passed away. And PJ, your project has been involved use, using ADATs. Have you still got an ADAT then, just in case, or did you have to hire one? No, I don't, but my friend does. He has uh, three working blackface state ads. Oh, my God. Can you remember trying yeah. to sync three of those together and waiting for them to rewind and stuff? Oh, we used to sync four of them together, but but usually there would be, you know, one or, one or two of them would be in the shop because the cap stands would always go on them. Oh, they were noisy beasts, weren't they? I remember. What, yeah, what was yeah, the... They were uh, un- unpredictable, certainly, I think, is the... Is yeah. The, isn't it? Rather than... You know, I think the most yeah. of the reason that ADATs were successful because, was because of the BRC, because it meant that you could have a big remote control like that that looked oh. like you had a, a proper 24-track or, you know, Mitsubishi digital thing, and it had lots of lights and meters and all that sort of thing. I reckon that's one of the reasons. Because you'd see people who had what you pe- pe- you'd see people who had those, but still only one ADAT. <laughs> like yeah, a but it made a, massive, it made a massive difference to things like time code and stuff, because I yeah, used three... Uh, three no two ADATs and then I had two as spares so I had four ADATs in a rack and a BRC for Duran Duran when I first started doing their backing tracks yeah and I could prime it up on the BRC and literally press the button and it would start instantly almost as fast as a hard disk recorder um so it completely transformed the way they worked but like left to their own devices and just hooked up in a line they were absolutely awful as you rightly said but mm. um i sort of remember having some in mexico and them going a little bit awry because of the sand that was blowing into them <laughs> <laughs> that's what that slot in the front was for wasn't it just collecting dust and stuff i think so <laughs> <laughs> but they were very reliable i did a year and a half of touring with those as my main machines for running backing drags night <sighs> after night so well wow, that's hilarious Our, ours were not reliable <laughs> so they, they were they were constantly going up, but I mean, it, to be fair, they they were actually initially the blackface ADATs were. I came in 
kind of in the middle of their lifespan, and I think they'd had you know many, many, many hundreds of hours on them already. So, what was the last was, model? Uh, was it the XL or X something or other? Wasn't it X? There was a. I don't. They recall. were silver. Yeah. I remember that. I, yeah. Uh, as used to get thrown on and off the back of trucks by those kind of college interns that had come to play roadie for the night. And those guys, you know, the big foot, footballer guys who want to just throw, you know, cases around and look macho. And I'd be thinking, oh, my God, please don't break that. But they survived remarkably. So, John Van Eaton in the chat room says he still has six working blackface with a BRC. Says, call me crazy. Oh, wow. I think we can all call him crazy. I, I don't know whether yeah. you use them. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, because we had we had uh, a couple of the the twenty bit ones, the 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 silver ADATs, in another room, and there were a couple guys working in a production room in there. And the pr the problem was that they you you know with that technology is you couldn't go you couldn't go from those twenty bit ADATs back to the blackface ADATs. Obviously, you couldn't stick the tapes in. And, and so uh, you, you yeah, had, yeah. or you could stick them in, but they wouldn't, they wouldn't run, but you, you could go the other way. And so you always had to be thinking about what, uh, you know, where something was recorded and, and, and where in the production uh, okay. chain. Okay. Or if you had two black faced and one <laughs> silver face. <laughs> yeah, we didn't do that. You no. know, we didn't have them all hooked up in the same, in the same room, but we did have, uh, we did have one room with a couple of the 20 bit ADATs and a couple of the, and the, in the other room for blackface with the BRC. Wow. Rich, Rich, did you ever um, get involved with ADATs or were you a more of a Tascam guy? Oh, I was, I was flirting with ADATs quite heavily at one point in my life. <laughs> um, and the BRC, which we called the BFRC. And I think I even replaced the graphic on the thing. So that it would say BFRC. Um, uh, and uh, I am, I think, in the words of you fellows over there, gobsmacked to hear Mark refer to any kind of video cassette transport as reliable. And I figured that he must, he must have made some kind of deal with Satan himself in order to have created such a scenario or been the luckiest man in the world. There were other... Well, 18 months, certainly. Uh, weren't there, aren't there other tape recorders that have a helical scan? Um, some of the old zonal stuff that, that you buy zonal tapes for. I'm sure right, I remember. That thing that was in the ADAT, the blackface ADAT, is one of the most magnificent pieces of crap you've ever seen. Mechanically. <laughs> yeah. Mechanically. Yeah. No, it's okay. terrible. Yeah. I suppose if it's you It's a think glorified about, cheap VCR is what it, it is. It is a cheap VCR. Yeah. 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 It is not yeah. even glorified. I mean, I would be happy yeah, to glorify no, you're right. this nice I'm man in his memory. <laughs> I will glorify and, this nice man in his memory for the usefulness of his product, but I will not glorify that transport. The reality of it was I was probably only using it for an hour an hour a day anyway, so it probably only had about 300 hours used, didn't it, really? I the course of it, yeah, or so. That's why they lasted so well. Yeah. yeah. Every time you wind the tape around that rotating head, you stand the same chance of it failing. That's probably yeah. the last generation of the uh, rewind, non-linear kind of recording stuff that uh, in digital format. They're kind of waiting for it to rewind. That I can recall, actually. I don't think there's... Well, and the DA88 as well. Well, DA88 was yeah. um, was big time, wasn't it? That was used by a lot of... Yeah. It was more in the US, wasn't it? The, the kind of digital multi-track stuff. Because you had... The DA88 had... Um, Built-in SimptiSync, didn't it? You could actually chain it to... A lot to... of film and video guys used yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was a lot, yeah. a lot more reliable from, from what I remember. Yeah, again, I used, those, I used those in the recording studio because they sounded way better than the ADATs and... and um, yeah. And the, yeah, the, the cassettes were uh, the digital, digital camera um, 
talking about. Oh, yeah, high eight. Video, video yeah. eight. Video eight or high eight, yeah. Yeah, high eight, that's right, high end, high eight, yeah. So it was, a, it was actually a, a much smaller video cassette transport control. <laughs> well, well, that's like spooling out. <laughs> but more stable, no, no less of a pain to work to uh, repair, but more stable. And uh, I actually owned a DA88 briefly. Oh, I don't think we ever got one. Mm-hmm. I was quite excited by the concept of owning one, but I never did. Anyway, well, um, raise a glass to Keith Barr and um, and think about those ADATs um, as a as a as one of those fond memories. But perhaps we're glad that aren't with us anymore. But uh, definitely something that changed the world. Um, let me just play something here that um, see if we can get this out of our heads because I thought this was. Is this worth doing? It's actually a non-story. The only thing I could think of that, well, I'll play it and then we can discuss it. I'll, I'll spare you the rest, but that's uh, 2001's um, Kylie Minogue and Can't Get You Out of My Head, which was incidentally ret- ret- written and produced by Kathy Dennis and Bob and Rob yeah. Davis from Mud, who also wrote um, Spiller's Love Jet, Groove Jet, and um, Tiger Feet as well. I, I might play that later, <laughs> just for just for fun. But anyway, um, this was uh, something called unhearit.com. If you have something stuck in your head, say, like the catchy refrain of the previous tune I played there, and um, you want to get rid of it, you go to unhearit.com and it will throw up a, a selection of alternative tunes to sort of kick them out of your own head. And it sort of brings up that whole kind of catchy melody thing. And um, I'll, I'll say what it says. It, we created this site for those of you who has a song stuck in your head and you can't get it out no matter what you do. L- using the latest techniques in reverse auditory mo- melodic unstickification technology, they'd be able to allow their users to unhear songs by hearing equally catchy songs. An unfortunate side effect being that uh, you may end up with an equally annoyingly catchy song stuck in your head. But there you go. But, you know, I thought it was a fun story, and I can't see any point for discussion of it, so I'm not quite sure I brought it up. So, Dave, would you like to administer the buzzer for me? Thank you very much. I feel much better now. <laughs> if only that was linked to I, some kind of electric what, I, shock. I went on that. So I went, I followed your lead, expecting, I was thinking, okay, what's the trick here? Expecting some kind of sophisticated device, of course, and that's the joke. Yeah. Um, but uh, I've now got the Macarena going around in my head. <laughs> 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 Having I... been to that site. I, I'm sorry. Hey, Macarena. I... Yes, I'm terribly sorry about that, Dave. Well, you need to go and hear it and maybe replace it with something equally annoying. I don't, what, yeah. was the, what was the last tune? Well, I know what the last tune that you had stuck in your head was, obviously the Macarena. Anybody else had a, a tune stuck in their head recently that they just can't get rid of? Uh, I'll tell you what mine was. Mine was um, <sighs> Fergal Sharkey, A Good Heart these, uh, these Days is Hard to Find, and I have no idea why. I think I heard it on the radio on the way somewhere, and it's just been appallingly <laughs> stuck in my head forever, which is – and it's – when you consider that he's, this is the man that did Teenage Kicks with the undertones, I mean, just – seminal kind of guitar pop punk new wave whatever and then this awful 80s monstrosity i don't know it just feels i, I don't know i feel ashamed to have admitted that rich what's the last song you got stuck in your head or do you do you manage not to get things stuck in your head because obviously if you're working on stuff day in day out does that stuff get stuck in your head or do you try and replace it with something else oh i try 
<laughs> um, no, I constantly, my life, the chatter in my head is populated very densely with musical elements. Let's put it that way. Uh -huh. But as of right now, what's stuck in my head is the mix I completed last night. All right. Well, that's good, though, isn't it? I mean, because you can sort of continue to analyze. Does that mean you're still an analyzing it and we'll go back to it and want to mm. tweak something? Is it, is it quite good enough, you're thinking? <laughs> Should I go back to it and just tweak no, it? No, it's more not time? in a matter that, of worry. Madness lies that way. <laughs> <laughs> it's not in the matter of worry. It's just pounding away in my head behind the thought process most of the time until the next thing. And, yeah, I try to replace it uh, after a while. And as relates to your question, Nick, I fully intend to take advantage of the opportunity to revisit it if, when I listen to it again, say here, I find something that I want to change. But I didn't do that this morning, um, and I will do it at some point. Yeah, I guess that's the that's the point. That's what you can do now quite easily because it's, you know, because of what we have available at our disposal. It's not like a total recall kind of scenario, I guess, is it? Maybe it is. Well, no, it just, uh, I mix entirely in the box. So it's open the session and move on from where you just left off. Ah, okay. Uh, PJ, have you had anything stuck in your head recently? Yeah, strangely enough, a couple of songs. Um, this weekend I went uh, up north with some of my family members, and I have a niece who is about 18 months old, and she is very musically inclined, but somehow she's grabbed on to a pop confection in the form of Lady Gaga's Alejandro. And she wants, yeah. And she wants to hear that song, uh, you know, a, a couple of times every couple of hours. And she just, you know, boogies hard to it, but it, it got stuck in my head. And so I was trying to chase it away with, uh, with my iPod and I came across, uh, uh, Imogen Heap's latest record ellipse. And I can't get hey. her song her song earth i can't get her song earth out of my head yeah that's stuck in that's stuck in my head but that's much better than that's high quality movie. although I, I must say that gaga yeah. track is because uh, my daughter's the same she likes that track as well but i i can't get that that bit out of my head as well the the refrain it's quite a good chorus yep. but uh, there's something about it you know she's absolutely brilliant at those um just stick around choruses. I mean, that's why, obviously, she's so successful, amongst other things, of course. Hmm. Dave Robinson. Have I asked you already? Yeah. I've, I'm sorry. I have asked you. No, yes, have, you have. Oh, have I? Okay. <laughs> Mark Tinley. <laughs> Mark Tinley. Uh, I've got uh, Girl and the Sea by the preset stuck in my head at the moment. Oh, I don't know that one. Yeah, I've got it lined up because I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> Go on, then. <laughs> Let's well, hear it. I like the presets. What I've heard. send it to us at high quality so you can put it in the show later yes thank you very much i think that'd be that'd be lovely that would uh, that would join the dots nicely thank you very much for that um but that's um that's part of uh leo's choices for pieces of music that inspire her about the sea and for some reason that one's just jammed absolutely in my head and it just keeps i don't know going round and round and round I think uh, Rich and I should write Zen and the Art of Earworms, given that we both know how to silence our inner voices to some extent. 
Ah, yes, the earworms. <laughs> I think we talked about earworms once before because there's a brilliant podcast by, on NPR by, um, oh, you'll know what it's called. I've forgotten what they call it now. It's uh, Jan Abenrod and um, the other guy. WNYC's Radio Lab. Radio yeah. Lab. And there's a really good, and that, because you told me about that because they used, um, Suzanne Vega's <laughs> Tom's Diner chorus, that the yeah. acapella version, as one of the most irritating things that sticks in your head, which uh, obviously I know firsthand how annoying, and it, seeing as I've listened to it probably more than anybody else here, I'd imagine. But <laughs> um, not an interesting topic, uh, and I wonder whether or not on here it will, will get many takers. It seems like a free service, but um, yeah, I, I, I would like this opportunity to play a little bit of Tiger Feet, just because um, I can't think of any reason why not to, really. <laughs> Yes, please. All right, that'll do. Oh, I did what were you playing back off? What was I playing back off? I was playing it back off a very low-grade YouTube video I found that was oh. obviously taken from a VHS recording of something yeah. and then digitised. At Niagara Falls. Yeah, through some kind of, yeah, terrible cassette. That was a, that was that was a, that was one of the helical scan um, cassette head for you there in full oh, in be... full force. Are you using bad SATA cables, Nick? Uh, I'm not, actually. This was brilliant, wasn't it? Well, this, I, I, well let's do this one quickly. I, I should probably, before we start, I should probably say thank you very much to our sponsors. Very good. Our, very, our sponsors, and then we can we can move on to the bad SATA cables. But uh, we'd like to say thank you very much to Yamaha.co.uk for their sponsorship of the show. We really do appreciate it. Obviously, what they're um, telling us about at the moment, amongst other things, is the new Motif XF, which is an incredible new workstation, top of the tree, uh, just an uh, you may have seen we did a couple of videos. Uh, they were kind enough to come down with uh, Birch Murenburg, their experts, to give us a full demo of uh, the workstation. 741 megabytes of internal WaveROM, which is double the uh, previous. Two gigabytes of optional flash WaveROM, so you can load up a whole bunch of stuff with custom effects libraries made by uh, some of your favorite audio Sound library producers, uh, 128 megs of onboard volatile sample RAM, so you can actually finally sample on one of these things out of the box. You don't need to buy any more. Uh, 1664 voices, 997 drum kits, and 512 performances. Loads of effects. A Yamaha digital mi mixer, which includes three band EQ for each part. Eight dual insertion effects, two system effects, and overall master effects and EQ. Director USB recording. The list goes on and on and on. I think really you need to check it out for yourself. Uh, they're starting to tour the, these things to go into a lot of in-stores. But uh, failing that, go to sonicstate.com forward slash Yamaha, where there's links through to the sites that can uh, give you a, a little more extra information. Though as far as I can see, we still have one of the only video demonstrating its uh, capabilities independently so um please do check that out and also while you're at it there's some great stuff on yamaha download um i did see a video today of uh, andy fissenden who's a brilliant drummer and he's doing some stuff with uh, the yamaha dtx 950 there's a series of videos they're releasing them at the moment there's uh, i think we're on 
video three, and it's him playing on the DTX 950 with various tracks, uh, all from within the brain itself. And it's beautifully shot and sounds really good. I must admit, I've not heard the DTX stuff sound quite so good as this in the past, but he's obviously worked on getting some great kits, really good ambiences, very, very real, particularly the cymbals and the hi-hats and stuff. But check that out as well, yamahadownload.co.uk. But you can get through to all of this at sonicstate.com forward slash Yamaha. Once again, we thank Yamaha very much for their continued sponsorship of the show, and uh, we hope that you enjoy their products as we do. Anyway, um, so, yes, PJ, you were right. The uh, the cable's made of pixie shoes. This is a very funny article by Sasha Muller on PC Pro, who uh, who was reading an article uh, blog by an audiophile who was saying that he changed the eSATA cables in his PC from the standard red ones that you get um, as comes with any old Dell or whatever, and uh, put some special high oxygen nonsense cables in, and he could clearly hear the difference. He says, he clearly identified an easily perceptible improvements. My only guess is that the Super SATAs reject interference significantly better than the standard cables, and in doing so, lower the noise floor, revealing greater low-level musical detail and presentational improvements in the soundstage and air around instruments. And uh, huh. Sasha Muller, um, his, uh, the, basically the thrust of his article is, what a load of tosh. Because obviously it's ones and zeros. <laughs> But, you know, it does raise the question about the uh, this, uh, this whole audiophile nature. I mean, it, you know, it's funny that because we're, we're split, aren't we? I mean, audiophiles, by their nature, want to be audiophiles. And we, as music producers and content creators, want our content to be the best as possible. But we're still dealing with the fact that it's all going to be crappy MP3. And as in that Tiger Feet, possibly fifth or sixth generation via some crummy codec re-encoded or whatever. But, uh, yeah, what do you think about this? Is it audiophile? Do audio, you, Dave Robinson, you must have a lot of audiophiles in the world you occupy. Yeah, well, yes and no. I mean, we, um, you know, we're not a hi-fi magazine, but uh, there is a, there is something to be said for gold connectors and copper, uh, you know, using certain cables. Um, I regularly go to a trade show in Frankfurt, actually, and there's a, there's a particular company, and I won't name it, but they insist that their cables are better than everybody else's. And they uh, they have a demonstration on their booth, and you can listen to one cable, and you can listen to the other, and you know there's a guitarist doing a demo there, and he plugs between the two, and yeah, maybe maybe you can just tell a little bit of difference, but you're you're not in any kind of control situation, so how can you how can you really tell? And and this particular guy. Um, he, there's nothing scientific that he never doesn't back it up with scientific evidence. He just says, "Oh, such and such a producer said that he liked my cable better than the other one." He said he'd never heard anything so clear. And you have to say, "Well, it's not the most, it's not the best way of, um, it's not the best way of, of, of doing an A/B test, is it? Really, just just." Well, no, but that, I mean, presumably most people, some some people do. I mean, I've heard differences. I mean, I remember going, to, uh, listening to a bunch of speakers and different wires, and you know, there was a difference, d undoubtedly. I mean, but the difference was not probably something that would make you think, "Oh, I need to remix that because I got it wrong because the cables weren't any good." Well, in, in the audio chain, the, uh, yeah. the big differences to your sound are going to be your speakers. And they're going to be your well. They're going to be your source and your speakers, and well, and your amplifier. Uh, the cables, the, the, the fraction of difference the cables going to make on top of if you've got everything else set up to its optimum, it, it's going to be minimal, isn't it? Yeah, that's true. Anyway, 
so I mean this is obviously a load of old nonsense but it, isn't, isn't it true I mean it's true we're certainly with um, digital stuff I mean you know we discovered after we did the first album with Goldfrap that uh, using really low grade um, sort of phono connectors that were sort of came off a cassette machine 20 years ago for, for moving digital signals around was perhaps not the best idea but you know, it didn't make the make the record sound any different. It just we thought, oh, maybe we should have been doing something a bit differently because of the jitter and stuff. I know, Rich, you you um you you chuckled when we introduced this one. What did you what did you make of it? Can you see anything um in there that you recognise in others? Well, I mean, as relates specifically to the use of SATA cables, I suppose you might get better and cleaner data transfer, but I cannot believe that that would contribute specifically to audio quality there's no audio passing through those cables i mean there's nothing it's i i've seen examples for example in my home theater where we're using higher quality cable for digital video improves the picture but at the end of that chain there's a transducer at the end of a speaker wire there's a transducer and and speaker wires are a completely different issue because honestly i do believe in good speaker wire yeah, call me, call me crazy. Um, I have heard the difference. And uh, I used to sell good speaker wire, and I bought good speaker wire for my house here. But as relates to this... Um, I, I can't. The starter um, cable can't. It can't because, I mean, the data, once it gets to the other end and is being, you know, buffered into a into the kind of decoding aspect of it, it's got nothing to do with it, has it, really? As, um, well, if there were a tremendous amount of data dropping out, and all this extra error correction taking place at the receiving end to keep us uh, what we would like to refer to as a steady stream, um, then I can see it, sort of, from that perspective. If you're comparing it to something truly, truly awful. But um, I don't imagine that most of the SATA cables we're getting are that truly awful. Sometimes you get, I mean, I remember in the days of SCSI, you'd get audio interference when the disc was being accessed. Um, mm. But so I don't know whether that that does it. I mean, Mark, you probably remember that. Whether you got that? You yeah, get that. I can remember that. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of almost like a mobile phone sitting on Very something quietly. going off, isn't it? Same kind of thing. But the other thing, I I mean, the only time I've ever had any kind of issues with digital cable is when I've been uh, bouncing stuff using uh, Spudif. Yeah. from one machine to another machine, and either the clock has started going off, in, which is that's called jitter, isn't it? I think. I believe so. And then the and then uh, the stereo image starts to just sound weird and thin, and all kind of collapses in on itself. And uh, if you if it, you don't have a particularly brilliant mix to start with, you kind of don't notice it sometimes. <laughs> <to afterwards. laughs> and then you play it back, and you think, "What the hell's happened to this?" And Welcome then, to my world of mediocrity. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, I used to just slam any old cable in the back, and then I did have this one realisation at some point that actually it does make quite a difference what you connect the things together with, and especially if you connect them over a really, really long cable run. But I can't imagine for one minute that inside the computer it's going to be... Nah. The clock is going so fast, it's not going to be distinguishing what's audio from anything else at the rate that it's transferring data between the boards is it and yeah so and the buffering will just go oh i'm missing a bit wait let's have that you know i'm guessing yeah. i don't know pj what do you think are you, a, are you do you think there's any truth no okay no, I don't. <laughs> and i think <laughs> i think i think uh you know as as regards the entire subject uh for digital cables definitely uh, uh definitely shorter is better 
higher you know higher quality to to maintain uh less jitter and that kind of thing and for audio cables i was sold a long time ago on i think if if you're going to spend money on cables and and it's an issue money's an issue that is and and you think you have better things to spend money on then at least if you're recording things with microphones buy good microphone cable and buy good speaker cable and then uh you know if you if you've got a load of synths and you're plugging those in you know maybe don't worry so much about it um but i have a i have a friend that uh, sold me on mogami cable mm. which is uh really really good cable there's something very pleasing about having good quality cable as well i like the stuff that sort of you know is live in the hand and particularly, you know, Dave Robinson, you probably deal with these sort of big multi-core stuff, or perhaps not so much now, you know, for, for installation, what have you. And that the Mogami, the, the 16-pair and the uh, 24-pair and 28-pairs, they were beautiful because they were just sort of – it was like a, a snake, in the true sense of the word, rather than kind of <laughs> – something very pleasing about it, although it weighs an absolute tonne. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say, gonna say uh, just this sort of seems sort of relevant. Um, in, in, since I've been, uh, since I was last on, um, I had the pleasure of going to to Crown, um, Crown HQ in Elkhart, Indiana, and um, I did a big interview with Mr. Harmon Pro Audio, a guy called Blake Augsburger, and um, they took me into the Crown Audio listening room, and in this room, and um, they had the most expensive stereo system I have ever. Encountered. They had um, JBL Infinity speakers, sixty thousand dollars, and that's thirty thousand each. They had um, single channel Mark Levinson um, amplifiers, twenty five thousand dollars each. You know, and that was for one channel. So there were two of those, and then there was a fifteen grand uh, Mark Levinson CD player. So I was listening to one hundred and twenty five thousand dollars worth of stereo, and. It was, it was, it was out of this world. It was absolutely phenomenal. What was the now, source? Did you plug of... your iPod in? Well, <laughs> yeah, I got, um, I got an old forty-five on a on a on a, on a mono turntable and shoved down. Now they they used, they got a specially selected uh, source. Everything from Coldplay to um, they got some of the classic, you know, uh, SACD sort of stuff. Uh, you, well, don't tell me they were playing Donald Fagan through a large PA. I can't believe it. You're joking. <laughs> yes, exactly. Jennifer Warren's bird on a wire. Oh, yes, please. Anyway, um, but they played this stuff. But what was what was fascinating to hear about this system is what uh, what Mark Kellum from Crown told me is that they played back CDs on this system, and because the system was so much better than some mastering houses, they were hearing artifacts that obviously they hadn't heard on the original recording. Mm, Which was wow. just with the whole, that whole concept was just kind of crazy, you know the fact that the people playing having stuff mastered, and yet this setup here was had so much had so much fidelity that they could hear all these noises, and there was one this was one particular track. There was definitely like a fifty or sixty hertz hum going on, um, and you could hear it. But they said, why couldn't you hear this on the original master? Well, because presumably whoever mastered it didn't have good enough didn't have a good enough system to actually hear it. I sat on a big leather sofa listening to this, and I just didn't want to leave. Did you feel like Pete Murphy on the BASF um, ad? A little bit like that, yeah. Anyway, I just wanted to share that with you. If you ever get, if you ever get to visit Crown in Elkhart, Indiana, that it's the RV capital of, uh, of America, as I'm sure uh, Rich and PJ will be able to tell you, but um, near Notre Dame University, and uh, yeah, fantastic, fantastic. Excellent. Anyway, Mark, you were you were um, you were 
going to say something there. Was I? Oh, never mind. I've forgotten what it was now. It's too long ago. <laughs> it's, but the moment's gone. Now, yeah. it, it, it was an interesting... Well, I suppose, uh, really, this, this would, it would make sense to move on to this um, Slate Digital thing. Did uh, did anyone get a chance to check this out? The, uh, the Basically, it's the... Uh, what's it called? It's called the Virtual Channel... Oh, God, I've... I've, I've pasted everything in there apart from the actual name of the product. That's brilliant. Virtual isn't it? console collection. Virtual console collection. Thank you very much, Dave Robinson. Would you like to give me a buzz there just to um, keep me on my toes? Thank you. I very much appreciate that. I feel much better now. Um, this is uh, Stephen Slate Digital, who uh, I didn't realise he did this. I thought that the only stuff that he did was like the Stephen Slate drums, you know, and all those kind of brilliantly recorded drums. But he's created this this thing, which is basically uh, it's two components: the, the virtual channel and virtual mix bus. You put the virtual channel across all your channels in a door, and you put your virtual mix bus across the master fader. Uh, insert one, and it's compo- what they've done allegedly, or this is what he says. He's a very good salesman, actually. Uh, he tells uh, they've they've taken you know six classic consoles and they have created these kind of from a summing mixer point of view so that you can put these across your door and it will sound like you're running out the separate channels into your uh, into a, a desk of of that flavor and i think they've got kind of ssl 4k 9k trident by the looks of thing i'm not quite sure what some of the other ones are but uh, apparently it's supposed to be really good but this i, I, I noticed a, a what, vid- what are these ones uh, I don't know because he wouldn't say. He said we've we've gone to great lengths to stop them from being um, recognisable. Oh, Presumably, AMS Neve and maybe a Harrison or something like that. Maybe, or, uh, yeah, API. Maybe, maybe something like yeah, IPA. Yeah, that's probably the know. IPA preset that I rather foolishly didn't notice. Could have been API. I think you're right there, Dave. You are a genius. Well, I don't know what I'd do without you. I'd never have noticed. Well, In fact, I didn't notice. Thank you very much for. But do you think this is plausible? Apparently, what they've done is they've ta- they've component modelled all of the. Uh, um, these the circuit paths from these these consoles and and basically you know modelled them well. I mean, obviously there the problem is is this was announced at NAM and he said shipping in three weeks and obviously now we're in September and it still says coming soon to the demo, the pricing, the screenshots and all the other sort of stuff. So they must maybe they've run into some difficulties somewhere. But uh, nice idea. Do you not think, Rich? Would this be something that you'd be interested in? If it sounds good. Hmm. I, I, no, no idea what the pricing is. I don't know what their the, their pricing is like for other products. There's a lot of these mystery Voodoo plugins coming up now. Avid's got um, Heat. Oh yes, the and the new Pro Tools, yeah. And uh, it's just it's like one knob Voodoo plugins, and I don't know. Some... You know right, it, it doesn't seem right for what I'm doing right now, but it may be cool. I, I, I'd have to see. Do you do? You, you, you just make, if... you, you you just mix completely in the box anyway, don't you? Well, I do, so yeah. that might appeal to me, especially when I'm using digitally sourced material rather than what I'm using now. But I, what I really want to know is, is Stephen Slate a Flintstones character? <laughs> <laughs> he should. He should be. He should be. Thank you. Uh, I, 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 Jeff. No, that's that's fine. Thank you very much for that, Rich. That was a. That, I think that's just what we needed. Because he is quite, he's very, he strikes me as a sort of slightly car salesy. I mean, in, in the nicest possible way, he's very sales orientated. When I, what I've seen, uh, PJ, have you got any of his stuff? You got any of the drums or the uh, the drum replacer or the FGX or any of that stuff? I do, I do not. But I've been watching, I've been watching specifically this this product. Um, oh, really? Just because yeah, it, it caught my uh, attention um, with all the Nam buzz, and I don't. I don't know why I've kind of stuck with occasionally just checking on 
on what's going on with it. There's a lot of buzz on a lot of different forums about this particular product. And I, I think mostly because his um, there's, there's two, two big things that he's, he's released, obviously his, his drum trigger software that comes with uh, samples that are, are very, very favorably reviewed across the board. Um, you, you rarely see anybody uh, detracting from, from those products. Um, and the other is he released a, uh, a mono compressor recently called the dragon and it's a hardware unit that he designed. And then I believe contracted out, um, and had, had built and it's, it's, uh, kind of a, uh, a Swiss army knife type, type deal where uh-huh. I believe it models or it, it not models, but has the components of, uh, you know, like an 1176 and a distressor and all kinds of different, you know, bells and whistles in it. Mm. Um, the ability, ability to parallel compress and that kind of thing in, inside the box. Um, the other thing that he's releasing along with this, uh, virtual console thing, presumably whenever, whenever they get along, uh, to, to actually releasing it is a, um, a mastering suite, um, that he claims uses a, proprietary saturation algorithm that doesn't distort doesn't distort your audio <laughs> i don't know how that works but he says it, it can add uh you know tons of volume without actually compromising the the dynamic uh range of of the audio and he's got some examples of this online not on his site but in various various places around the internet um the thing that i find fascinating about this there's two there's two things one is that I think that some of these saturation plugins are really starting to come of age, at least to my ears. So, you know, take that with a grain of salt. But it, it it's uh, so, uh, companies like Softube and Universal Audio um, have done some things recently that I think sound great. Um, the the passive active collection from Softube, um, they're, the, they're the company that has also been contracted to do the um, the Abbey Road plugins. Okay. Um, sound really good and they add, they add uh, a, a very distinct kind of mojo to anything that you run through them. The other is the universal audio manly massive passive model sounds sounds really good. Um, and I've had the chance to actually put that up against the original hardware and whereas it doesn't sound exactly like that hardware, um, it it sounds it does something to the audio that I think is every bit is viable. As, as the heart it's interesting you it's interesting you say this actually pj because you know i think again you know in all the this dsp coding like uh, i've pointed out before you know the uh this new generation of synthesizers and instruments like the poly kb that i reviewed a while back which i've been rabbiting on about for ages but there seems to be have been a sort of watershed almost of coding excellence somehow that kind of is it we're now re- reaching a new level of realism and excellence i wonder whether that's kind of down to uh, compiling tools or whether it's down to sort of DSP wisdom or what, I wonder what it is or whether it's just a, a, a whole bunch of new thinkers or ways of, or formula. I don't really know what it is, but it's. Dave Spears might be the guy to ask that, but, the, but the, this brings me to my other point as, as, as concerns Stephen Slate's new products. And that's that he got, um, Gabriel Fabrice, I believe is his name, is the guy that's involved in helping him code these things. Cause I don't believe Stephen Slate does any coding. He's more of a, of a design kind of guy, philosophy kind of guy, but he, he, uh, I think, uh, what? Sorry. Yeah. I mean, he's actually a talented, he's a talented drummer in his own right, I believe. Is that, is that correct? Stevie Slate, right. He's a kind of special player in the state. Ah, okay. Yes. Gabriel Fabrice is the guy behind, uh, many of the 
I believe they're pronounced EOSIS or AOSIS plugins that I I haven't personally used them, but they they seem their DSer and some of their EQs are seem to be universally touted as some of the very best out there in software. Mm. So I I don't know. I don't know if he got the right guy. Maybe these, maybe they'll be good. And um, his mastering suite is selling when it, when it sells is going to sell for, I believe $249. Oh, so right. I am assuming that maybe his, his yeah. console, uh, his console software might be around the same price. Interesting. No, that's definitely worth, um, worth checking out there. Cause the, uh, is that the FGX mastering process or is that something else? I think that's right. Yeah. Okay. I think it's the only- so we've still Nick, got quite, Yep, Dave. So I just wanted to go back to your point. You said about there seems to be a lot of um, a lot of companies, a lot of stuff coming out, a lot of clever stuff. Yeah. Is that that was your kind of point? Is yeah. That your. Yes, I, I think well, so. Well, I, I would say I think we're in a position where um, a lot of companies are really in a situation where they have to evolve and they have to do something special, or they're going to die. And uh, there's so much competition, and that's why people are trying to think of the next, the, the next uh, killer app, if you like. Yeah. And uh, seeing as as uh, hardware sales are falling away, um, coming up with in innovative software applications that they can charge a reasonable amount of money for, uh, when. Uh, people aren't necessarily going to music shops, and that's why we don't have two music shows in yeah. this country um, that we would have had. Um, it, it's a case of people are having to think bigger and, and and smarter to come up with stuff, and that's probably why you're seeing uh, a lot of this. Uh, a lot of this yeah, action. maybe so, maybe so. Now, Nick, I've got a question for Dave. Um, I think maybe Dave might know the answer to this. Are are hardware so, hardware sales across the board falling away? Because what what about something like the API 500 series? You, you see a lot of these 500 series boxes popping up all over the place, and isn't that a isn't that a a little corner of the market where there's kind of a revitalization in in uh, hardware sales? I think uh, I think there's a certain amount of that, but I also think that the North American market is very special in that respect, PJ. And, you know, when I go to the okay. NAM show, uh, and I see and I walk down the what, what's it called the um, the underground audio in Brad. Oh God, what's the name? But all these all these little brands. That, uh, that, that, oh God, I can't think of anything. Uh, things like um, Pendulum Audio and. Um, um, uh, the, the, uh, there's another one. Uh, I mean, not, not exactly Manly Labs and whatever, because they, they're the biggest stuff. But all these guys with the little with the little boxes, and yeah, with the 500 series. Um, who's the guy? A Designs, for instance. Right. You know, they're all kind mm-hmm. of little operations. A Charter Oak. They're all kind of small operations that are that are doing a certain amount of these, but they have small overheads, and it's almost kind of done out of a garage. Uh, and then they grow a little bit bigger, and they'll get a small factory unit. But the the, the, the industry in America will, will um, prop up a lot more of this because the musical style being generated there, because the country music thing, the very traditional. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here, but this is the impression I get when I come come to the states: is that there's so much music being made traditionally in recording studios, rather than say in Europe where you have a dance music culture and you have much more of an electronic culture to start with. And if I'm sat in my bedroom somewhere in Manchester, 
I, you know, I might have a, a, a Focusrite box. I might have a Sapphire or something like that, mm. or I might have, you know, Digi 002. But I'm not going to buy one of these uh, 500 series boxes. No, I'm going to, I'm going to find a crack off the uh, internet to make my next um, freeform party core dance track. You know, it, I think there's very much a, a different. <laughs> yeah, woo! I think there's there's a different philosophy, and if you only look at the U.S. model, you'd think that everything was everything was okay and there was still lots of hardware being sold but outside i don't think it's the same i think it's interesting that what you say about the people needing to be more innovative but it just seems to me that there is a certain extra level of realism that has been achieved and i wonder whether that is just down to innovation or whether it's down to an approach that people are adopting you know maybe a, you know normally you do component modeling but there may be a different way of Applying component modeling, do you see what I mean? That, that creates a better or more pleasing to the ear result than a theoretically correct one. <clears throat> there is a great article in last month's Sound on Sound magazine on that very topic. Ah, um, okay. Several, several modelers were, um, were interviewed for, for that, uh, for that little piece. And, uh, so guys from Waves and Universal Audio and the aforementioned SoftTube folks and some others were, uh, talk to about their their separate approaches and the i can't remember his name but the guy from SoftTube, the guy that runs that company which i believe is based in sweden he um said uh quite i don't even know if it's a cavalier statement i mean he obviously knows what he's talking about he he i i really like his products but he he said that uh any anything can be modeled he said there there is no limitation. The only limitation is the processing power. So he said, for instance, you know, an acoustic an acoustic space is um you know is we're still a long way off from the processing power that would sustain a fully realized model of an acoustic space. But anything can be modeled because all it is is physics. So there you right. go. I don't know. Yeah. Um, Mark, what are you? What are your thoughts? Well, I've listened to everything that everyone's said, and uh, I'm quite uh, clear that the hardware thing is kind of disappearing because I thought I would sell my Zoom um, hardware rack unit, and I was thinking that must be worth something now because, you know, it's a kind of a classic vintage piece of electronics. And I looked at the price of Zoom hardware on eBay yesterday, and, and the kind of going rate for a Zoom 19-inch rack is about £30. Oh, dear. <laughs> totally what have you got? Uh, what, what have you got, like 1910 or something? I don't know. It's for the first, whatever the first one was. The Multi original effects, gray then. Face thing. Yeah, that's a 1910. 9,000 series something, wasn't it? Yeah. I think PJ said something crucial, though, and he said, viable. So what does it sound like? And I personally think all these products are absolutely ridiculous, right? They're like le they're like those retro cars, like the new VW or the new Fiat 500, and they're sort of like pretending to be something that they're really not, and it's just it just doesn't make any sense. And I got really stuck on um, synthesizers for ages, like comparing the plugins to the real hardware and going, "Oh no, it doesn't quite sound like." this and it doesn't quite sound like that and then one day john taylor came in and put this track on and it was felix the house cat and i was just like wow that just sounds amazing and he just like probably didn't think too much about old zincs and had just got what was available to him and made music with it and that's it's like since hearing that i've always tried to ignore whatever graphic comes up in front of me so if i see a picture of a jupiter 8 i don't think jupiter 8 anymore i start to listen to see you know what what is it 
sounding like really and does it tickle my ears and what mm. makes it different to anything else mm. so my favorite plugins happen to be free ones which are like fire and live cut and both of those won awards for innovation on kvr oh, i so love I, those i love those plugins. yeah they're Mark. brilliant oh, aren't yeah. they they've just got like yeah. something about them the guy hasn't really tried to emulate anything he's just kind of done something innovative so I'm more likely to use either what Apple or DigiDesign give me out of the box or to actually go out and look for something innovative rather than something that's trying to pretend to be something else. Mm. And when they do fully realize being able to uh, model virtual acoustic spaces, I'll be very interested in that because I've, I've been using my ears a lot recently to sort of listen to my environment and go, why is it that I can uh, place a sound in the real world really precisely so if something happens in my environment i can go wow it's over there but if i do it digitally it's virtually impossible to place things in a three-dimensional sort of space it's either left or right and there's no real sense of it sort of over there that's really difficult to achieve and I, i'm really waiting for a really possible, believable reverb that does well that. yeah but that's down but to the fight down to, that's that's your you're within the limitations of stereo but i mean in 5.1 system you would be able to do that surely hmm. wouldn't you yeah but i can record something with binaural headphones and i can get a sense of where things are in an acoustic space in other words i can emulate that in stereo by using those kind of headphones so yeah but isn't, isn't that yeah clever that, enough to model that but if you were the one who made the recording aren't you just triggering a memory of what your f feeling was at the time of where that sound was in space Rather than, you know, if, if somebody recorded something and then said, where is that? Would you be able to place it as well, do you think? Yes, to an extent, I think I would, because I don't always remember exactly where I was in the or, or what was happening in the recording. So if I go and stand in King's Cross Station for five minutes with binaural headsets on, people walk in front and behind me and lots of activity, I wouldn't, I couldn't. Mark, this is, know, this is I, not a cheap, this is not a cheap solution, but something that you might be interested in is there's a company called Senken and they they make microphones and they make, I don't know, maybe you're familiar with them, but they make a, a 5.1 microphone, a five, a, a six channel microphone or a five channel microphone rather. Um, okay. And, uh, and you can, re yeah, you can record in surround with, with one microphone to five separate channels and then, um, play it back through, uh, through a five one system. And you could do what you're talking about, you know, with, within the limitations of, of five channels of audio, you'd be able to capture, uh, you know, capture your environment in surround. Yeah. Oh, cool. I mean, I suppose what I'm really trying to say is when there's, I look at huge those ram, like acoustic spaces, but if I look at something like uh, the reverb plugin in Logic, it kind of has the uh, it has an idea that you're in a room and the placement and the size and the, all that of the room. But it's not any of those things at all. It's still pretending to be something that it's not. So I can't take a sound and put it somewhere. Uh, in yeah, that but room, I think but I, well, yes, you could if you were in a, you were in a surround space and monitoring in surround, then it would make sense because I mean, Ultiverb has uh, a surround component to it doesn't it you can you can use ultiverb in surround mode but we generally are using things in five one and monitoring uh, sorry in in two in, in two channels and monitoring in two channels so you don't yeah, okay. get that information yeah, okay. no i know i get i get that it's possible but it's like really expensive and it's crap yeah it's not <laughs> yeah. it's not it's not believable is it it's sort of you know it's nearly there right and what 
PJ's talking about is like when they fully realise the idea of modelling acoustic spaces that we'll be in a completely different place in 10 years time this conversation will seem like kind of like well that's yeah okay so that's really dumb and simple that's par for the course kind of thing right no I see what you're saying part of the problem too Mark I think is the limitations of of the speaker ear speaker listener interaction I mean you you have to be in order to get the full full effect of of anything recorded, either stereo or either or in five one. You have to be in the sweet spot to be able to realize exactly, you know, exactly what's coming back. So if if you re, if you record something with a with a five channel microphone and then play it back, even through presumably very high end, you know, five one system, there's a very specific limitation on where you can be and then in, in that playback environment to get the full mm. effect of of you know placing an object in space and so if you fill a room full of you know if you fill it say it like a, a group of people in a theater you know uh, presumably not everybody's getting the same i mean they're not getting the same experience no absolutely you know? not no yeah and then that yeah, even so, uh, we're assuming they know how to listen for direction and space as well, aren't we? I mean, I'm nearly 50 years old and I've been listening to music for 30 of those years at least or trying to produce music. And I'm sure that I'm not fully able to realize where things are in an acoustic space even now. So try teaching somebody that's never thought about <laughs> that, where things are. And it's, that's a problem in itself, isn't it? So, yeah. Well, I think we're probably heading to a natural, uh, a natural ending for the show. Um, I, I know we've got a couple more topics left, but I, I expect Dave Robinson, you've probably got to go because you book in hours in your. Well, I, I had actually. I, I, I've got more thoughts on what you're just talking about an acoustic model in, in, in space, but I, I don't necessarily agree with it, but I don't want to go into it right now. Well, maybe we can pick it up. with high frequencies and Doppler effect and, and, uh, and all kinds of things. But, you know, if you, what I was going to say, if you want to see it, everybody sat facing the front and watching the screen and they hear a plane come over the head, over, overhead from the back of the theatre to the front of the theatre by the sound moving from the, the, the back left and right to the, to the front left and right, when then we all know where, it, where it's supposed to be and where it's being placed. I mean, that's not rocket science. That's just some clever, you know, you roll off the high frequency and then you bring it, and then you move it to the front of the theatre and you put the high frequency back in as if it's going from, you know, your, the way your ears work, they take out the high frequencies. That's why things sound like they're from behind. It's one of the reasons things that they sound like they're from behind you because the high frequencies on aren't there. I mean, you can quite easily do it. Get someone to stand in front of you, talk and move behind you and see how the high frequencies disappear from their voice. And that's part yeah. of the, the, how you tell spatially where they are. I mean, it's, it's, the, 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 there's a lot of really simple stuff. And if move, sound moving around, it's, it's, then Doppler shifts happen as well. And you, once you start messing around with, with certain things, you can actually create that spatial awareness that, uh, static sounds, it's, it's, it's maybe more difficult. But certainly when, when sounds, um, uh, are moving from one place to another, you know, it's, um, there's physics which, which explains all this stuff. Anyway, so, um, with, with that thought, Yes, I do have to go. <laughs> All right. Well, Dave Robinson, com. Check it out for the digital edition. Uh, always a good read. Uh, thank you very much for joining us, Dave. I appreciate it. Uh, hope you... Uh, I'll see you at Plaza next. Yes, see you at Plaza in a couple of weeks. Oh, will you be, will you be uh, doing the show next week? Before? Yes, we'll have the show next week, so um, okay. feel free to well, come along if you're, if you're free. Thanks very much, Dave Robinson. See you, everybody. Bye. And... Uh, I know. I'm sorry to, uh, cut, to cut anybody off who wanted to come in there, but um, it's getting towards that time when it's the natural end of the show. So I want to thank you very much for joining us. Um, first, I'd like to say thank you to everybody in the chat room. Some great links and great information and contributions there. Um, please do check it out. We put the live stream up on Ustream.
there's a link in the show notes every week to that stream, so you can check that out too. And also, thank you very much to my local guests um, who are still remaining. I will say Rich Hilton, because I haven't heard from you in a little while. Thank you very much for joining us, Rich. I really, really appreciate it. I'm glad you're having such fun on your current project. Always a pleasure, Nick. Thanks for having me. And uh, no doubt, are you mixing today or, uh, or more recording? I don't know what awaits. Ah. Except I do want to try out that soft tube stuff that PJ's talking about. Have they got something to do yeah. with tube tech? Because they're from Denver. Yeah, they have a they have a, both a tube tech compressor and a tube tech. I wonder if they're, they're linked because tube tech are Danish, I think. Is that right, Andy? Mm-hmm. Tube tech and the tube tech equalizer, I believe, is the, the tube tech copy of the pull tech. Yeah, well, that's beautiful. Yeah. You can't beat yeah. an 808 through that. Um, anyway, um, so thank you very much, Rich Hilton. MySpace.com forward slash Hiltonius. Um, do, we do, do much appreciate it. And that other voice there you heard was PJ Tracy. Thank you for joining us too. Some great contributions from you. PJ Tracy music.com. Thank you, Nick. I, I can't tell you how much I enjoy this. It's, uh, it's hard to express. Great. It's great to be back. Anyway, and also, um, we'll say thank you also to Mark Tinley, uh, where you can find it like being and also openboatorchestra.com. Brilliant. Thank you very much. I'm sorry I got into a bit of a rant there. I'm now going to have to come back next week so I can talk about that shockingly, uh, uh, the thing that rendered me speechless earlier, which I think is fantastic. Was that so, the uh, vinyl the ashes thing, by any chance? Yeah, yeah, well, we'll, maybe we'll bring that up. It's very crass, isn't it? But that, that we, I, think what we'll, I think what we'll do is we'll leave that as a teaser, perhaps. You yeah, can, you can so. find the new story on Sonic State and uh, how you can have your ashes pressed into a vinyl recording and have it distributed worldwide. But we'll leave it there. But thank you very much, very much, everybody. Once again, everybody in the chat room, sonicstate.com forward slash live, 4pm UK time on a Wednesday. Thanks to all my guests here. And also thank you to our show sponsors, uh, sonicstate.com forward slash Yamaha to see where we can point you there. Um, That was Sonic Talk number 187. It's a wrap. Thank you very much. (laughs) 